What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness. The darkness couldn't put it out. There once was a man, his name John, sent by God to point out the way to the life light. He came to show everyone where to look, who to believe in. John was not himself the light. He was there to show the way to the light. And so we are in John 1. We're celebrating his, Jesus' arrival in John 1. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 1. Last week, we were in verses 1 through 3 in this chapter. And by the way, that's page number 886 in those Bibles found in the rack there in front of you. And uh, that's, all, that's the only page you're going to have to know the whole month. We're going to be on page 886 the whole month. Because last week we talked about Jesus, who Jesus is in his coming and the time of his existence, his identity, his relationship to God, and his relationship to the world. And that his arrival for us gives us that perspective on eternity, who Jesus really is. And so we continue as John the Revelator, John shares in verse 4, we pick up, and he, we find these words about Jesus, because when you hear the word in him, he's referring to Jesus. And so he says, in him, Jesus, was life. And the life was, in, was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Father, I pray right now that you would help us to understand more clearly your majesty, your grace, your truth, Lord. And today, Lord, I pray that you would meet all of us here. I'm praying, Lord, right now that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, she was 15 and he was 17 when they met. They dated all the way through high school, and then they got married. She found herself four years later, buried in dishes in the kitchen, a mess in the house, two children at her feet, overwhelmed completely. Nobody saw it coming when she finally decided to leave nothing. No note, no nothing. And so about that night, she called. Later that night, she calls, and she says, how are the children? And he says, we're angrily. He's very angry. This young husband, he's really mad. He says, where are you? When are you coming back? And she said, how are the children? He said, well, if you're asking how they're doing, I mean, I, they're fed. I put them into bed, but where are you? And she hung up. And so 
she started calling every few days and never came home. And she's calling. Finally, his anger turns to a, a sense of sadness and longing. And so he tells her, he says, why? When she calls, I love you so much. We want you to come home. We don't know what happened. What's wrong? Why don't you come home? And she simply says, how are the children? And he says, they're fine. And then she hangs up. Keeps doing that over and over and over. Several weeks go by, turning into a couple of months, and he finally's had enough. So he gets into their savings account, everything, which wasn't a lot, and he literally empties that account to hire a private detective to run down his wife because they don't know. This is in the days before all the caller ID and all that stuff. So he has to run down and find out where his wife is. And that, lo and behold, the, detective, the private detective finds out where she is. She is in Des Moines, Iowa at a cheap hotel. So he goes to his in-laws because he doesn't have any money. And he says, I need money for an airplane ticket to go to Des Moines. I found out where she is. Gets on the plane, goes up. Now, he's really nervous because he's thinking, I don't know what she's going to do when she finds. So he's going walking up and he's, he's sweating. He's going up these stairs. He doesn't know how this is going to be. She is going to react. So he knocks on the door. And he, he, uh, as he knocks on the door, he, he's anticipating what's going to happen. She comes to the door and literally melts in his arms. Leaves, they go home. They are trying to reestablish their life together. And several days go by, and finally on one night after they put the kids to bed, he finally says, what in the world happened? Why is it that you wouldn't come home I kept, I kept calling and, and I kept telling you how much I loved you and I kept telling you how much we missed you and we kept saying that. Didn't you hear what I was saying? And, and why wouldn't you come home? And so he finally, she kind of hesitated for a, a brief moment and she said, because, and with profound simplicity, she said these words, before those were only words, but then you came. Jesus came, folks. He personally comes to the world, and he offers grace and truth. He didn't stand off at a distance. He is personally reaching out to you. The arrival, that's what we are celebrating. Now, the question might beg, even in Jesus' coming, why? Why did Jesus come? And John, in these words, gives us insight to answer the question, why? Why did God put on human flesh and walk among men? Why is it the creator, his desire is to become a part of the creation? As the song, by the way, the song, The Arrival, which was sung as we came in this morning, we sang it last week, is actually the whole idea for this sermon series. And that's what, why did God put on human flesh? Why did he come into the world to live and to die? What was, what's the purpose of this? And that's what I want to, it's very simple. It's just two things here John talks about in these verses. First thing is, first reason Jesus came in verse four. 
He came to bring life into deadness. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. When Jesus came into this world, he entered a world filled with dead men. But these dead men many times don't even know that they are dead. Jim Cimbala preaches in New York City. He tells a story of how he was preaching on an Easter Sunday. And as he finished, lots of people, gobs of people, big church, he came down off the podium and he saw a very tattered, poor person making his way towards the front. And because of the nature of the ministry, he wasn't surprised, happened all the time. But as he shares this story, he talks about how, yeah, you know, we just see a lot of folks that are homeless or destitute or were really struggling. And so as he came closer, he realized, and he just thought, oh boy, here we go, you know. Uh, you know. So he, he comes up to him and he, they deal with, Different, different kinds of struggles within their ministry. And, and so he just assumed a lot of things. And so he came up to him and he said, what's your name? He said, Dave. He said, Dave, where'd you sleep last night? He said, abandoned truck. He said, how old are you, Dave? He said, 32. And so he started, he started pulling out a money clip. He always kept a money clip and he was gonna give him some money. So as, as he offered him this money, Dave took his hand and put down the money and he said, I don't want your money. I want the Jesus that you were just talking about in this service. And Cimbala talks about how tore that, how that wrecked his life. Because he said, I had to repent because I was just wanting to give this guy some money when what he wanted, what he had come to me was Jesus. Because he knew, and he said, if this is true, this is what I need, because I'm gonna die out on these streets. I need Jesus more than I need your money. And Cymbala literally fell to the ground weeping. Not for this man, but for himself. Because this man needed life, and I just wanted to give him money. You know, so many of us, we settle for a holiday and we really need Christmas. We really need Jesus because we need life. There is so much around us that just leads to death. I don't care what your age, whether you're young or old. So much of life leads even a, in a path of destruction. Jesus said, wide is the path but narrow is the gate. There's a lot of decisions. There's a lot of paths. There's a lot of voices. There's a lot of people who give you ideas. I want to tell you today, Jesus, he came to bring life into our deadness. Jesus came so that dead men could live. I want you to know today that you can have newness of life, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If you're in Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. And here's why I say that. You might say, well, what do you mean by that? 
What kind of life does Jesus give you? I just want to give you three things real quick about what it is, that, how it is that Jesus brings life into our deadness. The first one is Jesus is the strength for earthly life. We are alive today only by his good grace. And I refer you back to verses one through three, who he is in the beginning and he did it all. He created you. Nobody here is an accident. Nobody here is an accident. You are created for a purpose. And God gives you life. And Jesus gives you strength for an earthly life. Job 1.21 says that he gives and takes away. And God has given you this life. Here's the second thing. Jesus is the secret of effective life. It has been said that there are three things that make life worth living. Listen to me. A self, a self fit to live with, a faith fit to live by, and a purpose fit to live for. I want to tell you only Christ can give you all three of those right there. You can find, you can live for yourself, but not have faith. But only Christ can give you all three. I try not to speak too much and elevate other people, but I saw a good example of what I'm talking about this week as we saw the 41st president of the United States laid to rest. There are so many things that could be said. I, uh, as many of you know, I worked for a guy named Michael W. Smith and he sang at his funeral. Actually, it was at the national, it was the memorial service in Washington. And so as I, over the years, have talked to him, uh, he's, uh, Smitty would always, not always, but a lot of times I would, be talking to him, he's on his way to Kenny Bunkport to be with the Bushes. And he became better friends with 43rd president. Uh, They call each other W. And Michael W. Smith and George W. Bush, they call each other W. And uh, it was really hard for Smitty to do the thing for Billy Graham. That was very difficult for him. But this was much harder. And one of the reasons is this thing right here. When you see people say the things they said about George H.W. Bush, when you talk about friendships, guys like James Baker, people talking about somebody who lived a life on purpose, by faith, and who could live in such a way that they were at peace with themselves. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. When you look to a person like that. Here's the third thing. Why Jesus brings death, brings life into dead places. Jesus is the source of eternal life. And we talked about that last week. But those who know Jesus by faith will live eternity. Every person here was was created for eternity. And Jesus came so that you would have not only life here, but your eternity has already begun. And you can live with him in heaven. Real living is more than walking and talking and eating and breathing and loving. Real life, abundant life, joyful life is found in knowing God through his son, Jesus. He came to bring life into deadness. Here's the second thing. He came to bring light into darkness. 
A person who does not know Jesus is more than just spiritually dead. They are also lost in spiritual darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I'm so thankful that Jesus actually even said out loud in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not be in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus came to deliver the lost from their darkness and to bring them into glorious light. I'll just give you a few scripture references. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, you now are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Acts 26, verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus came into the world to bring light, and that light is the light of men. What a sad thing when we just continue to stumble in the dark. I heard a story not too long ago about a man who just drank too much at a bar, and he lost he, he's he's, he's kind of out in, the, in a parking lot under a light, and he's crawling around. He, he's crawling all over. And a friend of his comes out and says, Sam, what are you doing? He says, well, I've lost my wallet, and I'm looking for my wallet. So the friend joins him, and they're crawling around trying to look for his wallet. They cannot find it anywhere. He's like, Sam, we have crawled all I don't see anything. Are you sure you lost it here? And he said, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I didn't lose it here. I lost it over there. But there's no light over there, so I'm not going to go over there to look for it. Isn't this? <laughs> Truth is, that's just the way a lost world, they do with the light. John 3.19 says, and this is the condemnation that the light came into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. Most folks, I, I used to have this, I didn't have an argument with Stan. Stan Buck was a dear brother, friend, mentor to me. He passed away several years ago. Now, he and I used to have this, uh, we had this ongoing discussion. Can I say that? And he always said to me, Johnny, when you're preaching, be careful. Because, you know, sometimes when you preach, it's kind of ain't it awful. I mean, sometimes you can be a little bit too hard on people, and people don't really want to hear that. Not be like, well, I hear what you're saying, but I also think that people are keep doing what they're doing maybe inappropriately, like doing things that are inappropriate work or in their family or something. It's like, hey, man, you know, I think our world just like, I'm okay, you're okay, you know, we may all make our own truth and all that stuff. And, and he'd be like, yeah, you know what? People feel beat up enough when they come into church. You don't have to beat them up more. And I'd be like, well, I don't know. I think a lot of people come in and think, I'm doing pretty good. And they may be doing 
inappropriate things and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. So we had this ongoing discussion about this. I think there's a large degree as I come to you, I want to have a sense of what Stan was talking about. I'm not here. I'm not mad at anybody, and I don't want to be mean or anything like that. But there's another side of this where I do want to shoot straight with you, and that is that we desperately need his light. It's a dark world. It's a slippery slope, folks. What, what you do with your life, especially you students, listen to me, it is so important, the decisions you make. You may think it's no big deal what you're going to do next weekend, what you're going to do on that day, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, it's a slippery slope. Be wise. Think about your life, who you're going to follow, and what you're going to build your life on. Every day you're building, making those decisions. Hey, young parents, listen to me on this. Careful. There's a lot of darkness in the world. Our natural tendency is to drift. We drift away from the truth. We desperately need. There's a lot of deadness in the world, and there's a lot of darkness in the world. We need Jesus. And so John, in this passage, in verse 6, he kind of shifts gears right there. In verse 6, he says, Now there was one who was sent by God. His name was John. And then he uses these very, he came as a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. So here's what I want to do. I want us to look at John, because John the Revelator brings up John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, if you want to read about John the Baptist, you look at more exegetically, because John just mentions him here just in these few verses, and then he tells a little bit more. But the whole story, if you really want to know, is in Mark chapter 1, if you really want to see more information about John, as well as Matthew chapter chapter 3 and Mark chapter 1, if you want to see it. But you can, I want us to look at John and what, John the Revelator says about John the Baptist, and I want us to kind of look at that how, and how John came and how he came as the forerunner of Jesus. Now, as we look at this, what did John preach? What was John's message? Repent. That was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now think about this. John is the forerunner of Jesus. He comes and he is saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now when he's there preaching that, I'm sure that was like not very, uh, that was not very popular. But he is saying to them, repent. Here's the things that I learned from John. First of all, if you want to invite, if you when you think about the presence of God, what is it that God did? What was the message of God to usher in the kingdom of God? It was to repent. So here's the deal. If you want to usher in the presence of God into your life, it's an encouragement to you, and you can find this through the Old Testament over and over and over through the word of God, starting way back even in Deuteronomy. You can see, if you want to usher in the presence of God, It begins with repentance. Many times, the word of God wakes you up to that. But we begin with repentance. 
If you want to usher in the presence of God into your life, you see the message of John, and that is to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here's the thing. Here's what this morning I want to encourage you. His arrival brings our revival. Whenever we talk about the deadness and the darkness, his arrival, Jesus' arrival brings our revival. So when we look at John the Baptist and he changes what he's talking about to John the Baptist, he's not really changing. He's saying John was a part of this, this whole ushering in, what what God was doing through Jesus. And so here's the five things. We're going to look at the five things that for John the Baptist of how he was involved. And here's the second part. Because listen, this is what's very important for us. It's how you can be a part of the revival. How can you be a part of the revival of what God's doing? Here's what we learn. We'll look at what we learn from John and then what we can learn from John to apply to ourselves, all right? That's what we're going to do. These five things. The first one is this. John the Baptist was commissioned by God himself. It says right there in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Just before Jesus began his public ministry, God sent John the Baptist to that river Jordan, and we find in verse 28 where John says, I'm not even worthy, but God sent him. Here's something that is true based on Jesus' dying on a cross, being resurrected, sending the Holy Spirit, and us being together here this morning. God is calling you. God is calling you in this day, in this generation. In days past, he has spoken through the prophets and in many ways, but now he is speaking through Jesus. God is calling every one of you. Here's the second thing. John the Baptist was a witness. Look at verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist was revealing who God is and what he knew of God. I want to encourage you today to be a witness for Jesus. You are called to be a witness. Francis, St. Francis of Assisi, was it him who said that? Preach everywhere you go. And if you have to, use words. I would encourage you to be a witness for the Lord. I'm not asking you to tell somebody else's story. I'm not asking you to make up a story. I'm asking you to witness what you know about God. And he's telling us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Tell other people, be a witness You're not called to make up. You're not called maybe even to have a seminary degree and then finally you can start telling folks. It's not that. It's about you telling people what is real in your life, what's true in your life. Here's the third thing. John the Baptist's testimony was Christ-centered. Verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. John, I mean, he even was astonished when Jesus showed up. Uh, and he even tried to stop him. He's like, hey, man, I'm not worthy. I'm not going to do this. I can't even untie your shoes. But he made his testimony about the Lamb of God. He said, behold the Lamb of God. 
He made his own story. The whole purpose for his living was Christ-centered. Here's your application for us. Make your story Christ-centered. Make your story, when you talk to people and when you, when you come into contact with other people, make your story Christ-centered. Share Christ. Some of you may be afraid to talk to people about God. I want to encourage you to be bold. It's one of the things we learned from the book of Acts. And I think God is calling us as a people to become more bold. Not in bragging or acting like we know more or shoving things down people's throats and acting like we're, you know, when I was back in the day, they just dates me and everything. But when I went to college, they called Christians, they called them Bible beaters. And that was such a connotation, like we were angry. And I want us to be full of compassion and love. I also don't want us to lose our boldness in sharing. And you know what? Listen to me. Listen to me on this. When you're sharing with other people and you make your story Christ-centered, be broken and humble in doing it. Talk about how much you broke, how much death was in you, me. I can talk to you. I know some of you are like, you know what, Johnny Mac, you're like, you're the pastor. You got the microphone on and all that. You, you would say that because you're a pastor. I want to encourage you that you make your story. I, you know, when I, when I go out and I, I even as I go to the grocery store, I'm at school, I'm talking to other people. I don't like for people to find out that I'm a pastor right away. I'd like to talk to them a little bit. Because I think once people find out I'm a pastor, anything I say about Jesus is like, well, you would say that because you're a pastor. Like you're practicing probably for Sunday right now as you speak to me. And what I want so desperately, I don't want people to know it because I want to talk to them about Jesus because my story is Christ centered even the idea that i am standing up here is crazy it's literally crazy that i'm sitting here i grew up in a small town in west virginia my parents weren't in this isn't the family business for me my dad was a steel worker in a plant in huntington west virginia uh my mom worked at terminex that's the orkin in west virginia evidently um i I was the youngest of four people, and I say all that to say God can do. My story, only God could do this, and I see all the different ways, like people giving their life to Jesus, and listen, my, you know what my story is now? My story is God brought life into me, and he's brought light into my life, and my whole life I've just been sitting and watching God bring life into dead people, and I've been watching him shine his light all these years. All these years, that's my story. My story is God brings light and life. I, you know, I, I look back on my ministry life. Sometimes it's not about, like, people say, it's what you've done. I mean, God uses people. I know that. I know that. And I've God, seen God use a lot of people. But I'm just telling you here, right now, I literally, in my whole life, in all my life of ministry, hundreds of students, hundreds and hundreds of adults. Life changed. I've witnessed in my life. I literally just sit and witness that. 
we have got to maintain that Christ-centeredness. Here's the fourth thing. John the Baptist, his desire was to win people to faith in Jesus. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Behold, the Lamb of God. That's what Jesus said. His two disciples left him. They encouraged it. Go, you follow him. He's the Lamb of God. So our application is this. Make your life mission to win people. There's only two things that are gonna last forever, folks. Listen to me. The word of God and people. That's it. People. Make your life's mission to win people. Don't give up on people. Listen to me. Don't give up on people. I am so thankful, so thankful that people when I went to high school didn't throw me out when I blew it. I was disqualified and all that. I made so many mistakes. And when I was in college, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, even young in ministry. It's amazing that I'm even still in ministry after the silly mistakes I made, things I've said in a moment, all that kind of stuff, dumb things I have either said or done. I'm so, listen to me. I'm here because a bunch of people probably didn't give up on me. God used them to show me grace. Here's the last thing. John the Baptist pointed away from himself to Jesus. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, verse 8. John the Baptist pointed away from himself to Jesus. John proclaimed Jesus as the Son of God. Even inside this chapter, we see him in verse 27 and verse 34. John was a popular preacher. Yet his, John's commission was to prepare the way for Jesus, not to seek honor for himself. So here's something we can learn from John this morning. Make it about Jesus and less about yourself. Don't forget that as you go. His arrival brings our revival. And you can be a part of the continuing revival. I pray we would learn from the word of God what it is for us to be a part of what Jesus is doing today. What he did through John the Baptist and he's still doing today. Would you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you for every person here. I thank you, Lord, that you have created every person here in your image and that, Lord, you have given us not only hope but life and light in darkness, Lord. I pray today, Lord, that we would, we would repent and go away from death to life, that, Lord, we'd repent and turn away from darkness and turn towards the light this morning. Lord, if there are places in our lives that are holding us back from living in light and having full life, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal that to us even as we pray here right now, and that, Lord, we'd turn away from that and turn towards Jesus. Lord, not only that, but I also pray that you would help us to be a part of what you're doing today in this world, at this time, in this hour. I pray, Lord, that you'd wake us up. Help us, Lord, to know that we are called 
to be a witness of the light. Help us, Lord. What's impossible with us is possible with you, Lord, so I pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we had time here together in our worship, you may have never invited Christ to come into your life, and you want to turn away from death into life. You want to turn away from darkness. We've got some folks right over here that want to pray with you after the service. And if you want to come to the cross, you're invited to. Some of you, maybe during the service, something happened, triggered something in you, or maybe there's a really heavy news that you're carrying this morning or a problem you're carrying and you'd like to pray with somebody, there'll be folks right over here at the cross to pray with you after the service. But this one thing as you leave here this morning, normally I invite you to come forward and most of you know the Lord and you want to serve the Lord I want to encourage you. Normally, I invite people forward at an invitation. Today, my invitation is for you to leave. As you go out those doors, I want you to say to yourself, God has called me. God has called me to be a witness. You are entering your mission field when you leave those doors. So as you walk through that door this morning, I want you to be reminded and say to yourself, I am entering my mission field. God has called me. So the invitation today is not to come, but to go. And when you go, remember, you're coming, you're called, you're going to be a witness for Christ. And so as you go through that door, remind yourself, I am called. The invitation is to go today. I pray today that the Lord will use you more than we could ever even imagine. God will use you, I'm telling you, He will use you. Be a part of what he's doing. God bless you and have a great week.